Well, thank you, Taylor, and thank you, worship team. Um, welcome, everyone. I'm Jonathan Alasco. I'm the Associate Director of Missions and Outreach here at Bethany. It's good to be with you all. We're in a new sermon series called Parables, and we're going to be looking at these stories that reveal who God is and how God wants us to live. And so in the spirit of storytelling, I thought I would begin my sharing with a story of my own. Uh, this past winter, I, was, I went to the Nisqually Wildlife Refuge down by Olympia. Uh, I've been there before. It's a beautiful natural area. But this time, I was able to go uh, with my girlfriend, Jessica. And I thought, what better, what better opportunity could I have um, to show off what perhaps is my most attractive quality, my birdwatching skills. <laughs> so I'm there. I'm confident. It's birds galore. And I, um, we have a great time. And as we're driving back home, I'm pretty confident she's thinking like, yeah, he's the one. Like just the way he identified those ducks, what more could I ask for? And so I'm driving home, still feeling pretty confident. And I'm observing birds, identifying them even as we're driving. I'm saying, oh, look, there's a hawk, there's a falcon, there's an eagle. And at one point, there's what looks to be like a red-tailed hawk far off in the distance. And I tell Jessica, I'm like, oh, do you see that? We drive closer, and it looks actually bigger than a normal hawk. So I said, I think actually it's a, it's a bald eagle. And we continue to get closer, and the image becomes more clear. And we're both looking at it, and I'm like, oh, that's a plane. That's, that's <laughs> definitely a plane. Needless to say, I was quite embarrassed. Uh, I was humbled quite a bit. I share the story of my birdwatching failure because um, our story today, like the story of uh, my own, it's a story about seeing, or perhaps uh, more specifically, a a story about failing to see. So why does our ability to see matter so much to God? I would suggest that it's closely tied with our own salvation, with our own liberation. When I think this is a crucial moment in our story, Jesus asked Simon, do you see this woman? He is drawing attention to Simon's inability to not only see the woman, but also to himself. He had a form of spiritual blindness that prevented him from receiving the great forgiveness Jesus offered and responding with great love. And so whether it's our struggle to see ourselves, to see others, to see God, all of us struggle with a blindness to some degree. And so our scripture today challenges us to confess, to recognize our blindness, but also gives us good news that in the midst of our blindness, Jesus came to rescue us, to give us sight so we can see his great forgiveness and be free to live with great love. So as we continue to explore both the the challenge and the hope of this story, I would invite you to to pray with me. God, thank you that you are a God who through story, through your word, opens our eyes. And so as we engage your word today, may our eyes be open, may our heart be opened uh, to receive, to see, and to respond to what you have for us, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, like perhaps many of you, I grew up going to church. And overall, it was a very positive experience. I, um, we never missed a Sunday service. I loved the, the stories, the singing, the, just the friendships. And to some degree, I really did believe that um, my Sunday school teacher was right. Jesus loved me, and I was able to love him as well. I had a, a simple faith, but it, it was genuine. But I think over time, over the years, I um, perhaps hearing those stories about Jesus' love for me, maybe they didn't have the same impact that they used to. I remember being in middle school youth group and being really excited one evening to hear uh, one of my favorite youth group leaders. He was a volunteer leader, and he was going to be preaching that, that evening. And so I'm sitting in the front row with eager anticipation. And he begins his, his sermon uh, by just saying, Jesus loves you so much. And I'm there thinking, not in my head, yes, agreed. And wondering, 
is there anything more? But to my surprise, there wasn't really anything more. He just continues to say Jesus loves you in a variety of ways for the rest of the sermon. At least that's how I remember it. And it was very passionate. It was very sincere, but perhaps also very repetitive. And I remember thinking, is that it? Did this dude even prepare? Clearly, I was a very gracious seventh grade youth group student. (laughs) Hopefully, you can be more gracious with me tonight or this morning. You know, even after all these years, out of all the sermons I've heard in youth group, that was the only one I remember. And I thought a lot about why it was perhaps so disappointing, so, uh, yeah, disappointing. Yes, it was repetitive, but I think there's something deeper going on. I think that just over time, even though I heard so many stories about Jesus' love for me, I, in some way, for some reason, lost sight of its deep significance, deep power, deep beauty. It just didn't move me in the way that perhaps it, it did when I was much younger. So maybe the struggle resonates with some of you today. Maybe you've known what it's like to genuinely identify and experience depth and power of God's love for you. Maybe you know what it's like to be moved by this love. Perhaps you can even identify with the, the woman in our story and her lavish worship. And just a sense of confidence that you were loved, you were saved, you were blessed. But perhaps over time, just begin to change for one reason or another. Perhaps you began to see yourself or to see God differently. Sure, maybe you still believe God loved you, but it just didn't have the same impact as it did before. Maybe you continued to going, going to church, but sermons about God's love for you just they rang hollow. They fell flat. It all started to sound so cliche and repetitive, and you began to wonder, do I even really believe this? And if so, what does it mean? What difference does it make? And so if you resonate with any of this, I promise you, you are not alone this morning. If you are struggling this morning to even just worship God this morning, you are not alone. I believe God sees you in your struggle and doesn't offer a a word of condemnation or a harsh lecture, but instead gives you a story, a story with which you can identify, a story that helps all of us move from blindness to sight. And it's to that story we now turn. Our story begins with Jesus having dinner at a Pharisee's house. He's reclining at the table and meals at that time were rich with social significance. Who you ate with, who you didn't eat with, represented your social status, your social boundaries. And so a woman in that town who Luke described as having lived a sinful life, she finds out that Jesus was eating at this Pharisee's house. In the large houses at the time, they had these big semi-public spaces that visitors walking by could see. So perhaps that's how this woman was able to find Jesus. She, she walks by, she brings this alabaster jar of perfume. She stands behind Jesus, she begins to weep. She weeps, she bends down to his feet, wipes him with her hair, kisses them, anoints them with her perfume. So the, the Pharisee who sees all this, who invited Jesus, he thinks to himself, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman was touching him. He would know that she is a sinner. So let's pause and ask ourselves, where do we see blindness in our story at this point? Perhaps most obviously, it's with the Pharisee whose name we later learn is Simon. Simon looks at the woman, sees how she interacts with Jesus, see how Jesus interacts with him or, and with her. And he decides not only is she a sinner, but Jesus can't be a prophet. If he were a prophet, he would not allow unclean people to touch him. So Simon could not see the woman as anything other than a sinner, nor he could see Jesus as anything other than a fake wannabe prophet. And these two perceptions are closely related. What Simon sees in this woman shapes how he sees Jesus. Or put another way, his inability to see the woman prevents him from seeing Jesus. 
So Simon's blindness may be obvious to us. You know, he's a Pharisee, right? That's just what Pharisees do. They're always getting it wrong, but we should be careful to not get so caught up in the speck in Simon's eye without examining the log in our own. How might we as modern day readers of the story also fail to see the woman? Let's ask ourselves, how do we even describe the story? How have we heard it described um, by others? I've always heard it as Jesus and the sinful woman. My Bible, the NIV translation, it has uh, different titles over different sections and it describes it as Jesus and the uh, anointed by a sinful woman. And so when we don't often hear the story as Jesus and the forgiven woman or Jesus as the woman who loved much or Jesus and the blind Pharisee. Yes, verse 37 does describe uh, this woman as a sinner, but the verb tense indicates that's more accurate to read as she used to be a sinner, as in she no longer is a sinner that she once was, even though she still may carry that reputation. And verse 47, Jesus says that her sins have been forgiven as evidenced by the great love she has shown. And so this means she perhaps at one point before the dinner experienced Jesus' forgiveness and then came to find him. Yet this isn't how Simon sees her yet. It's also not how I grew up seeing her. Growing up, I interpreted the story a bit differently. I saw it as a story about a sinful woman, almost in my view, certainly a prostitute who hears that Jesus is nearby and she feels so caught up in remorse and guilt and shame, she goes to find him. And in her expressions of washing the feet, that's her uh, expressing her remorse. Jesus decides, okay, uh, you have shown this great worship. I'm gonna forgive you. But I had it backwards. Jesus didn't forgive this woman because she showed great love. She loved him because Jesus had forgiven her. And so this is an important distinction reflecting my own inability to see her. And similarly, the text doesn't say what kind of sin she, was, she had. I, it doesn't say whether she's a prostitute or not, but that's just what I assumed. Perhaps that's just the teaching I had grown up with or just the social the assumptions our society makes about sinful women. In this way, I grew up reading and hearing the story so many times and yet still struggled to see her. So who are, well, before going to that, this struggle to see matters because if we wanna see Jesus in our story, we have to confess, we have to repent of the ways that we fail to see the woman that he forgave, the woman he loved and the woman he honored in the society that condemned and excluded her. So who are the women in our own day that as Christians, we struggle to, to see as forgiven and beloved? The woman we decide to uh, are, are unclean or unworthy or just a woman who are frankly invisible. If we fail to see them as God sees them, we are in danger of failing to see God as well. But God sees us in our blindness and he has mercy. He sent his son Jesus to rescue us from our blindness so we could live in right relationship. In Luke chapter four, a few chapters before this story, Jesus proclaims his mission statement. Basically, this is what he's all about. This is why he came to earth. It's a familiar perhaps passage for some of us, but I want us to focus on a key phrases um, in this. It reads, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And this is the key part and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Notice here how Jesus' mission statement, it links recovery of sight with liberation. When he refers to the year of the Lord's favor, he's referring to this tradition, this teaching in Israel's history in which every 50th year, enslaved persons were supposed to be liberated. Depth were supposed to be forgiven. And so when Jesus asked Simon if he can see the woman, we should read this question as part of his larger mission to restore sight, 
to set the oppressed free, to forgive debts. We should see it as a gracious invitation, not just to see, but to receive love and to love generously. Similar to how my assumptions prevented me from seeing the woman, I also I have a lot of assumptions about Pharisees that make it difficult for me to see Simon in our story. Perhaps like many of you, I grew up with a number of stereotypes we have about Pharisees. They're judgmental, they're hypocritical, they're closed-minded. They are the worst kinds of religious people. And that's why obviously Jesus just doesn't like them that much. And so when someone judges the woman, he just reinforces the assumptions I already had about him. But I think a careful look at how Jesus treated the Simon of the story provides a more gracious and nuanced interpretation. At the beginning of our story, we see that Jesus loves Simon enough to even accept his dinner invitation. In a time where when you accept someone's dinner invitation, that suggested an acceptance of the invitee themselves. And so when Jesus, Simon fails to see the woman, when he fails to see Jesus, Jesus doesn't immediately start giving a harsh lecture or calling him out. He begins by calling him by name. He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. And then he gives him a story. He gives him a gift. He gives him a parable. And in this parable, two, money owed, uh, two people owed money to a moneylender. One owed enough money to pay 500 people for a day's work, the other just 50. And those days, that meant you were enslaved to the lender. Yet this money lender forgave their debts, thereby setting them free. And so Simon invites, Jesus invites Simon to consider the connection between forgiveness and love, asking him, now which of the debtors love the lender more? Simon correctly, but perhaps begrudgingly, he says, well, I suppose the one whose debt was canceled, who's had the largest debt canceled. Jesus affirms Simon's answer. He says, yes, you've judged correctly. And then he turns to the woman and asks, Simon, do you see this woman? This parable that that Jesus tells Simon is not a clever gotcha story. Yes, it confronts Simon with his inability to see and forgive. Yes, it challenges him to consider his own failure to receive forgiveness but it also is an invitation to see the woman no longer as a sinner, but as forgiven, beloved, and honored by God. And through his parable, Jesus invites Simon to see him as the one who forgives, loves, and honors. It's notable that the story ends without uh, sharing what Simon actually did. And perhaps that's intentional. Perhaps Luke does that as an invitation for us as the reader to consider how may we identify with Simon. Like Simon, I think many of us struggle to see struggle to see ourselves as people whose debts have been canceled, whose chains have been broken, whose sins have been forgiven. We can appreciate Jesus for his, his stories, his entertaining miracles, but maybe don't always see him as a savior who forgives our sins, who, who frees us from captivity. And so we struggle to see God's great love and forgiveness with those we also treat as impure outsiders. And because we struggle to see God's great forgiveness, we struggle to live with great love. And yet despite our great blindness and our little love, God does not give up on us. In the same way that Jesus saw the blindness in Simon's heart and blessed him with a parable, Jesus sees our own blindness and offers similar good news that because Jesus forgave us greatly, we can love greatly. That even if we forgot and dismissed or rejected God's forgiveness, the offer remains. Jesus, the one who came to give sight, the one to set the oppressed free, has not abandoned us to our blindness, our captivity, but loved us so much that he came to die for the forgiveness of our sins, including the sins of the Simon in the world, so that even they, or perhaps better put, even us, maybe even we, may also experience God's rescue. For those of us who, like Simon, struggle with blindness, struggle to love, 
This is an encouraging word. But I also want us to take a look at the woman in our story because she has also something really important to teach us. At the beginning of our story, we, she's an outsider, excluded from the centers of power and privilege. Not only was she excluded simply for being a woman, but doubly so for being known as a sinful woman. When she finds Jesus at the dinner party, washes, kisses, anoints his feet, she goes where she shouldn't go, does what she shouldn't do with someone she shouldn't touch. Yet because that person is Jesus, everything about the story takes a turn. Imagine this woman weeping on her knees, kissing Jesus' feet, washing them, anointing them. And we can imagine Simon and his male guests just staring at her, perhaps wondering what in the world is she doing? Who invited her? She's humiliating herself. And I can imagine looking at her with perhaps embarrassment, frustration, anger, disgust, and yet this isn't how Jesus sees her, not even close. Simon may have seen her as the uninvited guest, but Jesus saw her as the true host. He tells Simon, when I entered your home, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has poured perfume oiled on my feet. This is why I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven. So she has shown great love. Yes, this is a convicting and challenging, uh, perhaps embarrassing word to Simon, but we should also see it as an uplifting, honoring, encouraging word to the woman as a true host who wasn't even a guest. She didn't just host, she hosted lavishly. She didn't just, you know, tell someone to, to wash Jesus' feet as other hosts may have done. She washed them herself with her own tears, with her own hair. She didn't show Jesus hospitality out of some social obligation, but as an outpouring of love in response to ex experiencing his great forgiveness and liberation. In short, she loved much because she had been forgiven much. In her humble service at Jesus' feet at the table, we don't see a humiliated woman, but rather the picture of discipleship. Perhaps some of you today can identify with this woman's exclusion to some degree. Perhaps you know what it's like to feel like you don't belong, to be looked down upon, to wonder if God really loves you and forgives you when others treat you like he doesn't. If that's you, I want you to know that because Jesus welcomed the woman in our story, he welcomes you as well. Because he has forgiven and canceled your debts, you are free, free to love, free to serve, free to worship, free to follow Jesus. So the woman in our story teaches us that as followers of Jesus, not only are we forgiven people, we are greatly forgiven people who are called to show great love. And so this is our invitation as followers of Jesus to move from blindness to sight and from great forgiveness to great love. It's been many years since my seventh grade days of bashing Jesus loves you so much sermons. I like to think I've matured a bit and perhaps could have a greater appreciation for uh, my deep need for a God who does in fact love me so much. And yet it can be really hard sometimes to genuinely remember that I have been forgiven greatly and therefore can and should love greatly. There's been, a, however, a practice in my life that I've been doing over the past few years um, that's actually been really helpful in this area. So just naturally, I love walking around uh, my neighborhood, particularly like very late at night, unreasonably late. But sometimes when I'm feeling particularly overwhelmed or sad or just struggling with something, I'll go out, do my walk, but also I'll put on some headphones, I'll, I'll listen to, to worship, and I'll just pace back and forth or around doing laps from my front yard. 
And as I'm pacing and listening and worshiping, I'm also remembering. I'll sometimes just remember the, the times in my life where I'd feel hopeless and scared and cry out to God, like, where are you? I need you. And as I'm remembering all this, I'm also remembering something else. I'm also remembering where I've come from, the ways God has rescued me. And I don't just remember it, but I begin to feel it in my body and my body can't help but respond. And, and sometimes I'll, I'll lift my hands in worship. I'll be jumping up and down and I'm sure I look absolutely ridiculous. I can imagine my poor neighbors taking a glimpse at their wild neighbor out in the front yard. And this is not a natural expression of worship for me. I tend to be more reserved, maybe tapping on the pew, one of these if I'm feeling very spiritual. But these moments of late night worship, uh, they're so sweet, not just because, not because I think physically expressive uh, forms of worship are more important or better than less expressive, but it's just these moments in which I really powerfully experience and remember God's rescue of me, how God has delivered me, how God has forgiven me greatly. And so my body just can't help but respond with deep love and gratitude. And in this way, to at least some extent, I can identify with the woman in our story. And so my hope is that we would find our own ways to identify with this woman. It's so easy as Christians to get caught up in uh, just the busyness of our life that we fail to slow down, fail to remember how greatly we've been forgiven. So whether it's through worship, prayer, scripture, meditation, time in nature, may we be inspired by and learn from and identify with the woman in our story, a woman who teaches us what it looks like to love Jesus greatly. And so as we um, enter into this final yet brief section, I'm going to invite uh, the worship team up and conclude with this. At the end of the day, the story isn't primarily about seeing the woman or seeing Simon, although that is important, but primarily it's about seeing Jesus. The parable Jesus told him was not just about the two debtors, but also about the money lender, the money lender who set them free. And so my question for us, for you, is do you see Jesus as the lender who forgives your sins, who cancels your debts? as a doctor who gives you new sight, as the liberator who sets you free, as a savior who loves you. If this morning you feel like you genuinely want to know, want to see, want to love this Jesus, but don't know how, my invitation is this. Fix your eyes on the Jesus as revealed in this story. Allow yourself to be captivated by his great love for Simon, for the woman, and for you. And trust that God's spirit will lead you into a faithful and grateful response. In honor of my youth group leader all those years ago, I hope that if you remember nothing else from what I shared today, you remember this. Jesus loves you so much. He has forgiven you greatly and invites you to love greatly. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, what a gift it is to hear from your word, be moved by it, be encouraged by it, be challenged by it. And so may we as a people just allow it to set in, to sit in, and respond faithfully, God, whatever that may be, Lord. Continue to speak to us in the weeks ahead and in the rest of our service today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.